It's my pleasure to welcome today Will Vanderhart to speak to us. Will is the founder of Mind and Soul. He's ordained. Um, for many years, he was um, pastoral chaplain at HTB, and he's now associate vicar at St. Dionysus Parsons Green. He's the author of uh, many books, including The Power of Belonging, The Perfectionism Book, which I've actually got right here, uh, The Guilt Book, The End of Worry Book, The Stuff of Life, and The Pregnancy Book. So lots of books. I'm going to grab myself one of the pregnancy books, actually, off the back of this. Um, He's married to Louis and they have three children. So thank you so much, Will, for speaking us to us today. It's really, really great to have you join us. Um, so just to start off, could you just tell us a bit about yourself, about your ministry and what you feel called to um, in, your, yeah, in your life? Thanks, Laura. Yeah, so I've been a priest here in London for nearly, I think it was my 17th year in ministry. Uh, I've been in four different churches. I do a number of jobs uh, from being associate victim curate to actually having my own church that I was incumbent and then working as a pastoral chaplain at HDB and now working with Tim at St. Dionys uh, in my role as associate vicar there. And over the years, um, I've had particular interest in emotional and mental health. Uh, and for me, that's both a personal experience and it's also a, a, a sort of a collective mission field. So um, quite early on in my curacy, I was involved in the London bombings, the 7-7 bombings, and I suffered quite acute PTSD and I had an anxiety breakdown as a result of some of my experiences there and um, that really was a very painful time for me personally but also woke me up to the reality of the struggles of many many Christians with mental health issues who at the time were really um, unnoticed, unknown, unseen and often stigmatized and so along with consultant Dr Rob Waller who uh, I'd studied uh, with at Cambridge and uh, he'd become an eminent psychiatrist. Uh, we started blogging online around mental health and I didn't know at the time, but here we are, um, you know, fair while later, 15 years later, and, and the Microsoft Foundation's become quite a big thing and quite a big part of my, of my ministry. But if I was going to kind of sum up what I'm really passionate about, it's really about human flourishing. You know, John 10.10 is my verse of coming to give you life and life in all its fullness. And I guess for me, it's about seeing people flourish in Jesus' name. Amazing. Um, it'd be really fantastic if we could kind of focus in on mental health today in our discussion, Will, and because um, I know this is one of your, well, this is your kind of key area of expertise. Um, we know that one in six adults experience a common uh, mental health problem and that actually mental health problems are on the increase worldwide at the moment, um, especially amongst children and young people. Um, and I'd just love to get your kind of wisdom on why, why do you think that is? What are the kind of societal um, trends and issues that might be contributing to this? And also as kind of parents or friends or people who care, how can we support people who might be struggling with mental health problems? Well, I'll break it down like this. Mental health is really sort of separated into two kind of core areas. So we've got what we call neurotic disorders and what we call seriously enduring disorders. Now, seriously enduring disorders uh, are in issues that often have uh, sort of lifelong implications and require long-term uh, medication and sometimes hospitalization. Schizophrenia is one which many people have heard of, um, bipolar disorder, um, psychotic disorders and the like. So interestingly, statistically, they've remained relatively static in terms of their prevalence. And then if you look at the neurotic disorders, no one likes the word neurotic, but uh, neurotic disorders are disorders like depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorders, 
some eating disorders and within that associated issues like self-harm, which people uh, talk quite a lot about. Um, and me, I, I have a, a diagnosis for something called GAD, which is a generalized anxiety disorder. And I've had that diagnosis for quite a long time. What it means is in the main, I'm okay. But if life gets particularly stressful, then I'll find symptoms of anxiety begin to bubble to the surface. Interestingly, within neurotic disorders, there hasn't been a huge change apart from in two key areas. The first one is in amongst older people. Uh, so increasing prevalence of mental disorders amongst older people. And that might be because people are living longer and are more isolated. Um, there might be other reasons, but certainly that's there's some kind of uh, obvious factors there. If you like, the, the, one of the most worrying increases in prevalence is amongst young people. Mm. So if you're going to look at the whole spectrum of mental health disorders and, and, and challenges, it's this increasing quadrant of the sub 21s who are we're seeing a real you know uh, an increase uh, in in emotional distress amongst young people two obvious causal factors one is the sort of second generation broken family so the sort of nuclear family uh, which was a place of emotional stability for lots of children if you like to attach mature mm. and then detach become habituated and individuated as sort of become the person that they are in their own right that's that's a change of demography and then the emergence of social media which is you know a difficult one because if i say this and all the young people are going to go oh no there's another social media hater you know uh, you're such a dinosaur you're stuck in stuck in the past but we do know that um technology has brought wonderful things uh, to our lives but also uh, some really challenging things and so it's easy to be overwhelmed by the statistics broadly and the statistics are the statistics are always changing so you know you have to kind of do do some research um, and it could be easy to be pessimistic about this but the good news is that when i was first diagnosed with a mental health problem the church had two two responses naturally both of which i experienced one was to, to suggest that it was all the devil and that effectively you were demonized, Satan was doing this to you or it even got into you, which was pretty terrifying considering you were dealing with a mental health problem and you were anxious. Um, the other one was just to deny that you were actually suffering in the mind at all. Uh, and so things tend to be physicalized. Uh, so I was told I was just tired rather than actually acknowledging that there was something deeper going on. Now, fast forward to today and here we are uh, talking to this amazing church, Nicholas Bristol, about mental health. And, and, and so there's a lot to be grateful for. You know, this, when we talk about statistics, when we talk about mental and emotional health issues, it can be a bit frightening for people. It might be upsetting or frightening for people today. But I want you to take heart because there's really good news. And the good news is that we're speaking about this stuff for the first time in many settings and that uh, we're helping people get the treatment and support that they need and that together we can flourish, even if we're struggling uh, with emotional or mental health problems. So as, um, as I said earlier, you've, you've written several books on many different topics, belonging, perfectionism, guilt, worry. Um, and obviously we're entering, well, we've entered a second lockdown this week, actually. Um, so what are your kind of top tips, I suppose, for managing isolation this second time round? Um, and all the kind of emotions that might come with that. Um, yeah, what would you be your top tips? There's something specific about hopelessness, which I think is a key facet of lockdown two. I think lockdown two is different 
in terms of we know a lot more about the disease. Uh, and so there's not this newness. And we've been locked down once before, so we're not experiencing it for the first time. But what there is, is this hope deferred. And the hope was we've got through this and now things are getting better. And now suddenly we've got this secondary disappointment. And I think that wisdom of Solomon, hope deferred makes the heart sick, is really helpful because it's that, it's that sickness of heart that says, oh, now I'm in a lower place. Now actually I feel, I feel like I can't do this again. And that's what we're hearing as an organization. People saying things like, I, I just don't think I can go through this again. Or um, I can't believe it's come back. Or I thought I'd never have to like be in lockdown. And now I'm going to be locked down the second time. And it's that sense of, I thought we'd beaten this and now it's back. That's what's particularly difficult, I think, in terms of our mental health. Everyone said, oh, Jesus says, do not worry. Jesus did not say, do not worry. Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Today has enough problems of its own. So what Jesus is actually saying is a really great piece of cognitive behavior therapy, which is don't catastrophize your future, but focus in on solvable issues of the day. So Jesus is actually just a brilliant psychologist. Um, obviously not just, but you know that's part of what he is. One of the things I really struggle with as a Christian is when people layer on a sort of an emotional expectation like you should be joyful all the time whatever it's going through um you know should be peaceful all the time whatever you're going through you should be confident whatever you're going and actually shoulds musts and noughts are generally pretty negative our emotional health when god speaks to joshua you know he says six or seven times in the first chapter you know be strong and courageous he doesn't say that because Joshua was strong and courageous. He says it because he was absolutely weak and terrified. Yeah. Um, and so I guess my encouragement is to see God's nurturing presence and his compassion more and to allow our emotions more and use them as a thermometer to denote our experience rather than using our emotions, if you like, as a measure of judgment against ourselves. And if we're experiencing emotions right now in the context of lockdown too, we shouldn't use them as a judgment against ourselves but we should use them as a way of praying and an indication of the ways in which we have need. And the only one who can provide for our need in my experience has been God. Mm. To say, God, I'm filled with fear. Come and meet my need. Or God, I'm filled with distress. Come and calm my anxious spirit. So Will, um, you are aware that um, two weeks ago, we tragically lost one of our amazing students, Matt. Um, and there'll be many people watching this that will, um, be still you know feeling grieving having deep feelings of kind of loss and grief and hopelessness um what would you what would you say to those people specifically i think going into this lockdown now mm. um and also i suppose what would you say to other people who maybe aren't feeling quite as strong feelings or emotions but want to support those who are in our congregation and how to best support people who are feeling those things Thanks, Laura. Well, first thing to say is my deepest condolences to, to all of you. Uh, it's Nicholas. There's nothing more painful than losing a, a young person, um, particularly losing them in, in the context of suicide. And um, in my experience, I've, um, I was a priest and lost a, a dear friend to suicide. Uh, it had a very profound effect on me. I, I would say that the impact, the grief impact of suicide as an event is is fivefold the uh, significant impact of a, of, of what we call a standard grief incident where someone feel like dies uh, through illness or old, old age 
uh, or even even traumatic incident. So it's something about the nature of suicide which is particularly difficult for us to work through. What we have to try and do is to separate our feelings for Matt and his incredible value, the way he's loved by God, the precious life that he lived and the significant person that he was. We have to separate out that reality from the way in which he died. And one of the great travesties around suicide is that we often lose sight of the person for their means of death. And our focus, our thoughts tend to orientate around these questions of why did this person do this? Why did they not reach out for help? What should we have done? Why didn't we see any signs? And so it, you know, our focus, if you like, in our grief journey tends to orientate around these unanswered questions rather than actually allowing ourselves to live in grief and journey with the memory of a wonderful person I don't believe that anyone who dies by suicide was in their right mind. And by that, I mean that they weren't making an objective decision to die. But suicide is a manifestation, if you like, it is a, it's a manifestation of a disease. It, you know, it, if you like, it's the final symptom in a very serious emotional health disease. And I think if we can take that approach, we can then mitigate some of the natural anger that people feel towards a person who's died by suicide. And I know this might be difficult for some of you to hear, but sometimes and quite often, in fact, within the context of losing a loved one's suicide, there is a significant amount of anger. And what's hard is, obviously, we don't want to place that anger on the doorstep of a person who's died in tragic circumstances. At the same time, we're not quite sure what to do with the anger that we feel. And so sometimes it can be ex expelled either in what we call intrapunitive ways or against ourselves, or we can become hostile to other people in our world who are at moments insensitive to our grief. And that's why grieving suicide in the context of the church is quite difficult. But we need to make sure we don't lose sight of the precious person who has died. And we don't disconnect the compassion that we have from someone who's died as a result of effectively an illness uh, rather than someone who's made an, an, an active decision in an objective way uh, to die in, in, in by this means. And so we're trying to understand this in the context of a loving and living God and know full well that Matt is with Jesus now in heaven and is at peace. How, how do we look forward from this? Well, we should anticipate that the grief of suicide normally lasts for five years. This is shocking for people because they think in British terms, we have a terrible relationship with grief. Um, we like to encourage people to move on from grief within six months. Six weeks would be preferable for most British people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, they start saying, oh, you're still sad, as if, as if that's wrong. That's not the way life works. If you've loved someone and you've lost that person, you are transformed by that grief. You don't just park that grief. It's not, if you like, it's not dust that you can kind of brush off and then move on. It transforms your heart. We're all the product of the griefs that we've experienced. Some of our griefs are losing a loved one. Some of the griefs are just the griefs of life, but we're shaped by those griefs. Like rock and glacier, as the glacier moves through it, it carves the rock and our hearts are carved by our experience of grief on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not a straightforward journey, it's a roller coaster. You go one way and then you find yourself going back the other. And it can take a long time to come to a place of peace with it, particularly for immediate family and friends. 
So, you know, it's worth having a look at that uh, to give you a guide about where am I today? I like to ask people, you know, where am I, where am I today? Rather than telling myself I should be at X point on the journey, just trusting that every day I'm making some progress in some obscure direction. We need to grieve. Um, interestingly, the symptoms of grief are very similar to the symptoms of depression. They just have a clear locus. It's not one of the easy things in life, but it's certainly one of the good things. Grief is a good thing because our, the depth of our grief expresses the depth of our love. If you haven't loved, you'll never grieve. But if you love deeply, you'll grieve deeply. Not everyone will miss a person in the same way, but we can stand alongside those who are missing them deeply, often without saying very much. In fact, the less we say, the better normally, but we can stand alongside and just be with, pray for, offer encouragement and peace. How, in your experience, have you seen mental health problems affecting people's relationships with God? And, and if that's maybe us listening today, um, what would you say to us um, as we kind of navigate that and navigate our relationship with God and, and these feelings, emotions we might be having. My, my experience um, was that when I suffered this acute anxiety breakdown, um, it was very scary. Um, I felt very afraid. And then I became depressed because I felt like I was losing my mind. Uh, God felt very far away. And for many people who are struggling with their mental health, God can feel very, very far away. What it doesn't mean is that God's left the room. If you imagine like it's like a faulty radio if if my radio like kind of is just all static i can believe one of two things i can either believe that they've switched off all radio stations around the world and that now i they're just they've all left the building or i can just understand that my radio receiver is broken now you have to decide what's more rational and logical is it likely that every radio station the ones just switched off and stopped transmission or is it that my radio receiver is actually broken I think we'll find that it's definitely our radio receiver that's broken. When we're going through times of depression, anxiety, and even some other mental health issues where we're required maybe to take strong medication to, to dull parts of our brain, which might be a hyperactive, then we can lose that feeling of God being with me. What it doesn't mean is that God isn't with me. It just means that I'm struggling to feel God is with me. Being a Christian with a mental health issue is so challenging it's doubly challenging not just because it affects your experience of faith but because it can affect the experience of the faith of the community around you um and we are currently in a sermon series all about hope um which is obviously very relevant at the moment um with what's going on in the world um how can we um pursue hope and what is what is hopeful for this season that you could speak to us about well, I've mentioned Proverbs 13, 12 a couple of times, so I need an antidote to that. And I think my <laughs> antidote would be 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So um, what I love about Paul's resilience is that it just is so persistent. And I think we can sort of set our hearts in this difficult season um, not to lose heart. So I, we're setting our hearts with this disposition. If you like, it's a countenance of like, I'm gonna decide not to lose heart in all this and, and trust in the renewing power of the Holy Spirit within us. So even though around me, we're wasting away in this context, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day with the presence of Jesus. And so I guess my encouragement to you all is to, is to, is to press in, to, to, to like set yourself in a disposition of renewal and, and look towards what God can do in you. God is shaping us all in difficult circumstances. 
and and that doesn't mean that that somehow it justifies the circumstances it's just a redemption of the circumstances whatever we're going through we know that god can redeem it for his glory and for his good and so my prayer for you all at st nicholas is that you're on you day by day through this next 40 days i just encourage you to make it a time of prayer petition press into jesus grieve if you need to grieve dialogue through your emotions support and encourage one another and you know let's build churches which love people heart mind and spirit and if we can do that we're going to change society in jesus name so bless you thank you so much for having me it's been so great to join you laura it's been wonderful to connect with you again love to you all thanks for all you're doing in bristol god bless you have a great sunday and uh, no doubt we'll speak again soon okay god bless Thanks so much, Will. It's been so great to have you with us today um, and thank you for all your wisdom.